Good to see you guys. Let's pray together. Holy Father, we thank you for this time together. And I think of Psalm 63 where David says that your love, O Lord, is better than life. And that is that's such a great mystery. It makes me to, uh, I guess, pause and reconsider what I think of as your love, what it actually is. And I pray now that you would um, stir our hearts, help us to know more of that love, to have hearts of flame uh, for you, even as you have a heart of flame for us. And uh, I pray for those listening who um, maybe stumbled upon this and, and their needs and desires and what they're searching for. And they have hearts of flame too. And we pray that you would uh, be a, a mighty kindler uh, in, our, uh, in our talking with one another tonight, you would guide us and lead us. Pray for our families that you would be with them while we're away right now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Sam. So last time we talked about the um, the spiritual mechanics of labor and rest that you, Jack, uh, did that lino cut sketch. And hopefully people will go back to that and see what was said there in episode number one and we just we went through it fast like a 30,000 feet view feet or foot view and uh and in i guess in retrospect just i mean we did what we did but just in, as we talked about it afterwards um Seth and I especially like some of our fa- favorite moments are when we uh took a little followed a little rabbit trail and learned about the handle of a trowel or we learned about uh, a, a sword or an arrowhead or the broken vessel turned upside down, mended with copper. Like those stories were, I mean, that was, that was gold right there. So I want to do that again. Uh, but this time I want to uh, focus on a slide that we, we didn't touch. In fact, I don't even remember looking at it and it is the central slide or we, we, we broke it up into slides. Um, so when I say slide, it's a whole picture, but it's this kind of right in the middle and, um, of, of the piece. So I want to, I want to learn more about that and, uh, get into that. There's like, and I'm going to put it up on the screen in a moment, but, um, as we, as we get into it though, um, Seth, you had some thoughts about, um, process a, a a question about process or style that was that you were thinking about should we go there yet yes uh that may be a good way to um kind of you know start broad picture as we zoom in closer to the detail we're going to look at today um i know one time i was in jack's workshop and i was looking through his books um he's got a collection of art art books that i'm sure he references as an artist and one of them, he mentioned that he had he had studied some icons, I guess that may be the wrong word. Um, I'm remembering from a couple of years ago mm-hmm. yeah, uh, of the Northern Renaissance. And I know at least growing up Protestant, um, 
the idea of an icon is pretty foreign foreign to us anyway mm-hmm. uh in fact probably we're more iconoclasts by um, yeah. so I, I wonder as i as i look at this at this picture i it, it strikes me as being somewhat iconic in that sense that um i'm i'm learning something about god through looking at uh a person through and the images the the accoutrements that are that accompany this person in the yeah. picture i don't know what do you is that am i totally wrong on that or is that has i don't know yeah no i you're you're right in terms of i mean on a very just a basic level of artistic influence um the northern renaissance which is you know referring to um a, a period of time in uh, European art history, which is, you know, actually, you know, interestingly, you know, kind of concurrent with the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. So um, there's, um, it's actually a kind of an interesting study in and of itself to to see those overlaps. And there's a lot of guys that, you know, there's a, a painter and printmaker named Lucas Cranach, the elder, who was good friends with Martin Luther and most of the, most of the paintings and engravings and stuff that we have of Martin Luther, he did. Um, and, um, uh, well, Albrecht Dürer, um, also was a contemporary and he was, you know, a, a really, he was kind of the Northern Leonardo da Vinci, you know, people say, um, and so German, but so like Belgium, um, Germany, these countries, I mean, it wasn't Germany then, but Northern Europe had a, 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 a Renaissance that was really different from the Italian Renaissance. And it came a little bit, I mean, it overlapped, but it was a little bit later. And a lot of what drove it was a middle class that there was a, a middle class that existed in there. And so a lot of the, because of that, you had people, people that could commission devotional imagery. Um, and it would, a lot of it was smaller scale because it was, it was more of a, not all of it, it wasn't all private per se, but um, because it was being, the it was being funded by individuals or guilds or things like that instead of like the Catholic church. Um, so you had like the grand, huge, like public works of Michelangelo or something, you know, this famous Sistine Chapel ceiling. Um, you had these much more intimate works. And so they're very highly detailed, really, um, symbolic and so when i first encountered that type of work um when i was studying painting and what what really i mean it was i was familiar with a lot of those painters but there was a show that came to the nelson atkins uh, museum when i was at school and being a student it was right next door to the art institute in kansas city and we could go whenever we could, we, if you showed your student ID, you could just get into the museum. And so 
we could spend just hours and hours in there all the you know and which was a really really great thing so there was a show that came through that was called copper as canvas and it was um a group it was basically a say you know a copper plate is what you know copper engravings are made on which was that's what albrecht durer is particularly well known for these really beautiful intricate um prints that are they're essentially i hate to they're they're almost the opposite of what the print that we're talking about of mine which is a a lino cut or you know a block print and durer did a lot of those too um wood cuts so the a copper engraving is instead of carving what you're you're carving a line that will be printed it's and so you're you're using these really they're called a burin engravers and you're making these really intricate small lines in a copper plate and then you rub ink into it and and then you wipe all the ink off the surface of the plate and then you run it through a press that has a lot of pressure and it presses the paper into the those engraved lines and grabs the ink and it's a phenomenal i mean it's in the engraved line in my opinion is the most beautiful line that has ever been achieved by man you know there's just nothing that compares to that that line and durer was as a master at it of course and so um but they would take the back sides of these plates and polish them often and they would do paintings on them so there was a whole kind of slightly obscure tradition of doing paintings on copper plates which were by necessity you know they were small you're not you know wooden panels you can paint bigger but copper just you can't you just can't get that big so all these paintings were really small and the ones that were at the 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 tradition started right around the northern of the period of the northern renaissance and the level of detail because you can polish that copper it's a it's it's like an infinitely smooth surface so they're they were like paintings on jewels there's no way to describe the light because oil painting is translucent and copper is reflective so you have translucent oil paint glazes over this reflective copper surface and and in the when the lighting is right it is it's it is unreal it's so incredible it's really like looking at a jeweled surface it's there's and these things were so intricate and beautiful and i saw that show and it was just it transformed my vision you know it was it was very much of like yeah i really like this a lot and there's a lot of dynamics there because it, it was like finding my home and recognizing this language that I wanted to learn because it is very symbolic. Um, it's very devotional. And there is this, the, an important aspect where you're how the, the, the mind of, you know, we talk a lot about the medieval mind nowadays, I guess it's becoming an important, uh, rightly so an important thing to look at. Um, and so the Renaissance mind is still mostly a medieval mind. And t 
to go back to the icon conversation, the thing about the icon and I think, and what makes these a little bit different, you know, cause the icon is something that is, I'm not an expert in being able to talk about this. So, um, but when you, that's something that you're, oh, what's the right word? I want to say revere. You're, you know, you're engaging with, you know, it's a devotional image that is part of your prayer life. Um, oh, venerate. You know, venerate. That's the word. Thank you. I was like struggling for that word. So that veneration is a really important concept with icons. Um, <clears throat> I think with the imagery of the Northern Renaissance, like these devotional images, while that is part of it, there's that, you know, Christ said the eyes are the windows to the soul. And that there's, it was basically like you, what you looked at transformed you. Mm -hmm. um, and how we maybe have gotten away from that is maybe a little surprising because it seems so clear that, I mean, it seems so obvious that like anything that I look at throughout my day, you know, is it going to change? But this was like really fundamental. Like this is, so there's a trans and that's a whole nother topic, but, um, that, that nature of like, basically what it comes down to for me on one level, it's like, it's, it's art that does something. Um, you know, 20th century art is, you know, when you th have like art for art's sake, or you have modernism, which is about like found you know, these fundamental visual concerns, which are really good and interesting. Um, but to have art that, do, that does something spiritual and physically, like not only spiritual, but it's transforming your, your physiology, even, you know, there's one of my favorite paintings that was a, a really important in this regard is Math Matthias Grunewald's Isenheim altarpiece. Mm. And it was a, this huge painting, this huge altarpiece that was in a monastery hospital that treated people with skin diseases. Mm -hmm. And this painting played a, a really significant role in the ministry um, of the, of the monks to these people that were suffering. And it brought when I first learned about it, it brought tears to my eyes because I was what I was looking, you know, it was like art can do, you know, art, a painting can have a ministry that was really exciting to me. So I really am. It's like what we talked about last time where art is technology. Um, and it's a lot of what we're talking about, what the, this piece is about with the spiritual mechanics of labor, you know, where it's like, this is <laughs> all these things are doing more than we think they're doing. You know, the work, the work of my hands is more than the work of my hands, but it's something, you know, there's, I, I always, always want to comment these, these, all these like things that swirl around in my head about all this and 
I could go on for an eternity. One of the uh, things about that piece in um, that you, that you mentioned, uh, Grunewald's mm-hmm. piece, is that the flesh of Jesus was painted with skin diseases on it. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's destroyed. Uh, His flesh is destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Balthazar, you you know the like the traditional the the good the true and the beautiful. Balthazar von Balthazar like he made sure the order was beauty, goodness, and truth because he said when we look at beauty, and it's not just like physical, sensual kind of beauty, but there's a spiritual part to this kind of beauty. When you look at it, it transforms you into a good, and, and you want to be better. You want, you want to be good. So he put beauty first, then good. And then once you are good and operate and consistently knowing how to operate from being good, only then can you have wisdom to be able to discern what's true. So he, he put them in that order, which that really resonates uh, with, with, with me and with life, too. So I put up the full uh, piece there that we um, talked about uh, last time. Anything, Jack, that you want to draw people's uh, attention to or uh, mention before we dig into the uh, just the central slide? Uh, not in particular. I think just I just wanted to have, give a sense of the whole image before we before we zoomed in, just just as a kind of refresher. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> Hey, by the way, while while Sam is pulling that up, I'm gonna give a little shout out. Sam's been working pretty hard on getting the Substack up for this thing, um, and he he uh, instituted the chat feature, which kind of extended this conversation uh, throughout the week, and uh, we had some interesting questions that Jack was able to answer. Uh, I think it's I think it's worth uh, it gives other people kind of a chance to jump in and ask some questions that maybe we're not going to cover um, or don't have time to cover in this, but I think it's, it's worthwhile if mm-hmm. other people want to see it um, at the Substack. Absolutely. Go, just go to color and then that'll take you to our Substack, and you can figure out how to uh, just navigate around there and find the chat. They really like you to um, download the Substack app that makes it easier. So um, you can, People can figure out how to do that, but colorofdust.com, not the color of dust, just colorofdust.com should uh, should get you there. Yeah, that's all new and up and running. And yeah, and Jack's answer to the to the, one of the questions was just fantastic. <laughs> so here we have uh, the slide I was uh, talking about from the from the whole picture. And where would you like to start with this uh, part of it? Yeah. So actually, what I want to start with as a couple of I want to talk a little bit about like symbols okay um, if if that's okay yeah that's good uh, and um, I so um, I want to I think in order to talk about symbols I want I kind of want to see I've got a few like some of my things scattered around here of there's this idea that I'm glad I, why I'm glad you asked about the Northern Renaissance is in this idea of like how painting works 
and how art works and like why it's you know why is beauty transformative and um and, and i there's one level and this is something that and i'm you know i'm certainly not alone in this um that like communication is a is a difficult business and i i um I've always been so frustrated with language and um, so, and just the, this, this kind of thing of like, when I start to talk about something to like, just see the, to see the meaning like crumble into dust before me <laughs> as I make the attempt is, is sometimes really, really discouraging. Um, and especially like, when I talk about things I care about. And so the art I make is my effort to like, to explore and inquire of God about those things. Um, <clears throat> so it's similar. Like I, at the beginning of I've the thing I've sent both of this, this, both of you guys, this thing of, you know, these, some of the stuff that I've been writing recently. And at the beginning, there's kind of a, I talk about having a covenant about words and that it's kind of like, I'll agree to talk about these things as long as, as long as we understand that the, the more I talk about them, the further away from them we're getting, <laughs> you know, it's like, I feel the need to like reiterate that, that, that kind of let's, let's be, let's be straightforward about this that it's really important to talk about this stuff, I think. So I'm not, I don't think that it's wrong or bad or um, not meaningful to, I think it's really important and meaningful to try and talk about it. But there's a, but there is a level where by doing that, I'm, I'm, I'm moving away from, from the meaning, not getting closer to it. If, and there's, I've, I've been reading this, this book by, um, J.F. Martell called Reclaiming Art in the Age of Artifice. And so, as I said, I've, this is a struggle that I've had my, my entire life, as long as I can remember, you know, and just want so often wanting to just throw up my hands when it comes to communicating with language, but it, he makes a distinction. He makes a, in this, in this chapter where he talks about, he's talking about signs and symbols and he makes a really important distinction between signs, which are extrinsic, like a stop sign. It doesn't really matter. We just, you know, we've arbitrarily chosen a red octagon to mean stop. It could, we could have chosen a triangle to mean stop or some, you know, a yellow tri, whatever. So signs aren't necessarily don't they aren't the meaning that they carry whereas a symbol is like there's an intrinsic nature to a symbol where you can't separate the symbol from the thing it's symbolizing um there it's 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 not what where as and i think in a way it's helpful sometimes i think about how sometimes you know sigmund freud would analyze a dream 
or and understands symbolism compared to like Carl Jung, you know, for Freud off, often, um, and I'm not a scholar of Freud, but, you know, it usually it's like this, it's a symbolism is a one-to-one, -one, you know, like this, and this, this means this, you know, that's why this is here. This is what it means. With Jung, a symbol is much more expansive, you know, it's mu it's more of a window into a world. Um, so, a s and that leads into all kinds of territory. So Martel, when he's in this, in his book, there's, he gets to the point where he, he's making these, these, um, clarifications or like, there's a lot of, he makes all these divisions and one of them he makes is between expression and communication, which was fascinating to me because it was kind of like a sigh of, of like, okay, I needed, I needed that. I needed to see that separation between ex that expression and communication are two different things. And I'm just going to read a little bit from what he writes. Um, so let's see the numinosity of the symbol evaporates the moment we attempt to describe it discursively any attempt to communicate it collapses it into a sign so if we remember the sign is something that's you know so art on the other hand does not describe things but circumscribes them so that they appear in their essential non-utilitarian quiditus what whatness Whatever, whenever someone manages to convey a symbol in ordinary conversation, that it's because they've resorted, then it can only be because they've resorted to a poetic turn of phrase, uh, a captivating story, a gesture, or a look that made him into an artist in that moment, in, the, in that moment into a work of art, which is really similar, I think, to the prophetic tradition and the Old Testament, um, actually, but, um, so I think to see that when we're like an expression is something that's more fundamental. Um, and I, I wish I knew how to like tease that out a little more, but I want, I think it's just something that I want to have in the background as we start to like engage the symbolism and the things that are going on here, because it's like to say like, what, you know, is this oftentimes when I'm working on a piece, when I'm putting up, you know, kind of composing it or whatever, in this case, in this particular piece, I did like three or four drawings before I actually like, did the print and then the print the block itself as I was working on it evolved too so often there's 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 um sometimes it's like well this is I'm going to put this in here and I have a relationship with that symbol like the in this case in the heart there's a of a, a, a v a roman numeral 5 um and I I know we talked about the roman numeral 5 last time you know, referring to the five wounds of Christ and, um, and I always associate it again with St. Francis and St. Francis receiving the stigmata and talking about the wounds of Christ being 
five doors or windows where grace came into the world. So I mean something like, um, when I think about five, when I put that in there, but it's, that's what I'm primary. I think about it f at first, but I actually have sheets of, of what written out of all the different things that, that have over the years, sometimes it's through somebody else's like, this is what this makes me think of, you know, sometimes it's, um, just as I go about my life, I learn more about, you know, there's when I think about the work of my hands and even just the five fingers on my hand and how important that relationship of my hand to the to It's it's impossible to describe um, because so much of my relationship with my God happens is through my hand you know, because it's the work that I do. Um, so there's a lot of stuff like that where it's, it, it, it's a breathing thing. It goes in and out and things enter in, but I've got something specific in mind when I put it in there. You Sometimes, even think of mm -hmm. uh, putting your hand over your heart when you swear an oath or of allegiance to, you know, the five right. fingers over yeah. your heart. That, that's what I thought of, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, you know, it's even like, I always think when I think of like the Roman numeral five, it's always like kind of a spring green color, <laughs> you know? Mm. Um, and uh, it's just different. There's a lot of di dynamics there, but the there's a lot of things, symbols too, that I put in where that's much more maybe intuitive, where I don't know why, but I just know it needs to be there you know, um, and I, and sometimes it's repeated over and over and over. And I still like over years and years, I use something and I don't even full, fully understand why, but it's, that's why it's important. I think to understand that so much of the work is an inquiry, you know, it's not me. I'm not professing something. I'm, I'm inquiring. Um, I'm looking, um, I'm seeking you know, to understand or to hear. Um, so that's, uh, I've been talking for a while now, so <laughs> I don't know if you guys have anything to, to contribute or add to any of that. There's two thoughts that I had while you were, while you were talking. One, this idea that the, the number five, like the stigmata of these five windows that grace enters the world through. Flannery O'Connor has this, famous quote she's talking about the eucharist <clears throat> about communion and she was catholic and so she there uh the the idea of the eucharist there is that it's it is the the actual presence of uh christ his body and his blood um and there's some sort of divide when you when you cross into protestantism where it becomes mere symbol uh, but it's interesting the way Jack is talking about symbol is that it's not separated. It is, it is still the thing. Um, sign is the signifier. Um, that, that strikes me as, you know, as this, as we look at this and even those, those five wounds that it's not, uh, the symbol is, is also the presence. Um, you, you can't separate the thing, 
from it. If, if yeah, Flannery O'Connor said, if it's just a symbol to hell with it, I don't want any of it. Um, uh, because then it's separated from Christ. And I, 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 I don't care about the sign. I care about what is, what is signified. I want to be in the presence of God. The other thing that I, that I was thinking about as you're, as you're talking about this, the process of inquiry. Um, last week we talked about, uh, that labor, the primary, and I've been, I've been telling everybody this, <laughs> uh, the, the primary reason of labor is intimacy with God. So I, I, you know, as I look at the, at the details again, uh, even the herringbone pattern on this guy's shirt, um, what that would have been like to carve it. This, this process of inquiring of God and all of these motions with your hand is, is driving you nearer and nearer, uh, to hell with the symbol. Let me get, let me get to the presence. Um, I think that's, that's pretty fascinating. And it, it puts you there. I mean, if, if you're, if as a, as just a mere viewer of it, um, it does draw you in to say, okay, I'm, I am also inquiring. And that maybe that's the difference between that art and the art and the artifice is it's not just, it's not just mere skill. There's something that's, that's pulling me into the thing that you were after as well. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting with the, I was writing some things down about trying to get out some of that process that you were just talking about. And I think, that maybe it's a benefit that the artist has, you know, is because I have the relationship of process. Um, and that is like, it's a direct experience, you know, and it's because, because the work is the prayer and the inquiry and the intimacy and all these things, you know, it's really a big, a big, uh, it's a big world of engagement you know, there's contemplation in that herringbone pattern, you know, like there's something really great for me about settling in to something slow like that, you know, because, mm. um, because it, it, you do, you, you kind of like your mind goes into a different space than, and that's a more of a contemplative thing where, where you like how you, th how you're thinking is different than how you think when you're doing something that's maybe like requires like a different presence of mind to say like, like, for example, if I'm, if I'm in doing a pattern versus like I'm doing something that rendering something that's much like more complicated in, in terms of like what it's trying to delineate. And so I'm like the, the, the type of how my mind and my eye need to interact or is different. Um, so how my mind thinks is different, you know, or, um, but I, I like how it's a direct that because direct experience is an important thing to have. Um, and so I guess that's a benefit that I get <laughs> as an artist, you know, doing this is that, and that means a lot. That's an important part of my life, I guess, you know. Did you take us into uh, the heart now? Yeah. Um, I don't know what to say about the heart. If you want to know the truth, um, it's it's like there's obvious things to say about the heart. And, and 
being on fire, you know, and there's a lot with like, there's a lot of my recent experience that, that this came before and, um, but it, that it speaks towards, um, and, and a lot of it, that relationship to fire, you know, which fire being at some level equivalent to the presence of God. Um, but in a little bit different, in a different form than the eye, you know, we talked about the eye being the, um, the present, like the presence of God and last week or last time. And, um, the fire, you know, obviously like the burning bush that Moses encountered is, is, is an important, is an important thing, which makes me think of we're with symbols, uh, um, oh, now I'm, um, now I'm, he wrote bucolics, the, uh, Morris Manning. Yeah. Um, Morris Manning talks about, um, trees, trees are living symbols. I, I remember him saying that at one point, you know, and making this kind of, uh, how he t teaches his kids, his students about symbolism. Um, and a, a big part of that is engaging with trees, um, which I'm a big proponent of thinking about trees as living <laughs> symbols, um, just to kind of backtrack a little bit there. Um, but the fire is, I, I struggle because it's like, I, <laughs> we, we talk about being okay with rabbit trails hmm. and like, um, I feel like I'm like constantly like reining myself back from going down all these different rabbit trails that, um, that I want to go down. But, um, there, I have, I, I mean, uh, relating to the heart and even mm -hmm. him holding the shovel with, you know, in this, this mm -hmm. configuration of fingers. I mean, there's, there's this long tradition of the, just the sacred heart and you'll mm -hmm. see Christ, you know, with right. with that with that hand gesture, I'm not sure what it means. And then obviously his heart is somehow it's either pierced or uh, light. You know, it's this kind of wellspring of divine light. The subject here is it has that hand figuration too, uh -huh. along with the the burning heart. I mean, you're tapping in, you're you're tapping into a, a pretty well established tradition. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, that's the true. I mean, there's those signs of blessing and both hands are making that sign. Yes. Um, and, um, and it's kind of like the down and out, you know, not down and out as in like, I have, I'm, yeah. I'm feeling down and out, but down, like blessing the earth and blessing the viewer and, you know, mm -hmm. and so the heart, like the fire, what I want to say about the fire is it's, it's kind of like, when you encounter like the fire of God and it's, there's a great, well, it's like you can't, it's unendurable to be like, to have your heart on fire like that is unendurable and to have it. So like, so when you, when like the presence of God comes and like fire in and you know it will if it it it's like it's unendurable 
but then for it to go away is unendurable, <laughs> you know, and it's, 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 that's really difficult. Um, because when you've had that experience, it's, I don't know, it's such a hard thing to describe, you know, and I think you talk, you know, the prophets talk about God breaking their bones, you know, burning their bones. And like, there's just these times where that's what's happening. There's this great account of Blaise Pascal, the scientist. Um, and when he died, his, his housekeeper was going through his effects and found, um, sewed into the lining of his coat, um, a little folded up piece of paper. And when she like, so she somehow she found it. And so she opened it up and she, and it's, and his, and it's just this, it's an account of a mystical encounter with, with God that he had. And, and some of it, it's just like fire, fire from like <laughs> noon to like fire. And it's like, he's just like, without, you could see him grasping for the language and, but he had to like make some account of it and that he sewed it into his, his, his favorite coat, you know, it's like, what else am I, what do I do with this? <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. I, 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 I think that's, I really love that. And there's my, you know, I've talked about John Moriarty, um, the Irish poet and philosopher. And he, uh, he tells, he's in one of his kind of flowing rambles. He talks about like the large Hadron Collider and like these particle smashers. And like, he's, he's kind of going on about like, the, the nothing but universe that we live in where it's like, you know, everything, it's just like, well, depression's nothing but a chemical imbalance or, you know, we're, we're just nothing but chemistry and, and, you know, electrics, electrical, you know, biology, etc. And, and so he's kind of pushing against that. And he's, he said, what if, what if when they finally find the smallest particle, that, you know, whether it's a boson or whatever it is, when they finally get to that smallest one and they go and they find, they open it up and inside is a little folded up piece of paper that says fire, fire, <laughs> you know, and it's just such a beautiful, how he expresses it's so, so good. It's so good because like that same flaming heart is deep inside the smallest, smallest particle in creation. And I think that's, I think that is incredibly beautiful. It's an expression like what we were talking about. That's, that's an, a beautiful expression that defies rational thought, you know? And it, my mind went to uh, the end of Luke's gospel when the um, two disciples are on the road to Emmaus and uh, a fellow pulls up next to them and walks with them, it happens to be Jesus, after his resurrection. And they're walking along the road and 
they're you know downcast and Jesus is there. They're like, he's like, you know, why are you so, why are you so upset? And they're like, don't you know? Haven't you heard? Have have you had your head in a hole? And uh, he just keeps talking with them. He opens up the prophets and the psalms to them. And by the time they reach their destination, and he's gone. But in retrospect, they're thinking about it, about the encounter with Christ. They didn't even realize it was him. But they said, we're not our hearts burning the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's. There's that, there's that fire. And yeah. uh, Augustine said, he said, all love has its own power, nor can love in the soul of the lover be idle. It necessarily urges us on. You wish to know the quality of love, see where it leads. I, I love the fact that it's almost like red. I think there is a quality of like that burning heart where it's like, where they're like, weren't, were, were our hearts not on fire? Like, were they burning the whole time? And where you look back on something, it's like, my heart was on fire then. I didn't, I almost didn't realize it, you know? And, um, but the nearness, like, and you sometimes you almost discern that nearness from a di after you've walked past it in a way. Um, at least I've noticed that often that um, time is a tricky thing when it, when it comes to that. And but I noticed that little mouse up there warming himself uh -huh. by the yeah. fire, <laughs> you know, yeah. when our hearts are on fire, uh, when they're, when we're filled with God, mm -hmm. creation benefits, you know, people, people, angels look in, even mouses, mice yeah. long yeah. to look yeah. into what, what the heck's going on down there. <laughs> yeah. Things are drawn to the fire. Things are drawn to the life of God. Yeah. There's a lot going on there. And, and that's what I love. Like, I love that you bring that to the table. Like, it's such an important dynamic for me with work like this is I'm, even though I'm running on and on in this conversation, but like when I hear how other, what somebody else sees and how they respond to it, it's always different. From what I see and it always instructs me and teaches me um, and that's part of I think the nature of it being in an inquiry you know so that's valuable to me it's just such a powerful image to me with the burning heart and I think that's that symbol quality that stirs people who will mm -hmm. see this because we can instantly relate to that like you said either the presence of a burning heart or the lack of a burning heart like yeah. both of those things uh, yeah. we can relate to and it's what it's a it's an anointing right it's mm -hmm. it like like you said every what if you get down to the very smallest particle and 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 even it's anointed and that's how that's how god made that's how god made everything that is the point everything is anointed everything is a glow uh, with him but our scientism and our very shallow grasp of what we call reality, it's just, it, it's, it strips of that. And we're, we're all the worse for that. Not being able to perceive the fire in our hearts. Would it be okay if I, there's, so I, I know I sent you guys this poem a while back about the, the burning bush, um, that it's called his eyes are a fiery flame. Um, but the first part of that poem is a lot about the fire and the heart. Um, 
Would would that be all right if I read some of that? Definitely. That would be fine. Okay. Um, okay. I don't know how I am as a poetry reader, so I, sh I should make Seth read it, but I've got it in front of me. So, all right. Um, Brother St. Burning Bush, what does your unextinguished heart feel? O oh, anguished host wood of the Almighty's ghost searing, I cannot be I cannot bear nor even hear the voices of men unless they be in song and soar amazed at the nearing nearness soaring soaring in awful timber about the unified flame fancy words hang and weary my house bows intelligent articulations rub away my inner bark dig into my cambium leaving iron-black scars. Not like the elegant flames, fulfilling my leaves in an aura. Sing then into the fire, my heart. Dance into the phosphorescence. O oh, brother, saint burning bush, ignited kith to the tree of life. You drew me in and burnt off like a flare what remained of my religion. Bend myself into your space, into your gravity well. Instinctively, I transmogrify the chambers of my heart to hold your fragile, fiery leaves. Kneeling, breathing slowly, almost not breathing. Making my feet bare to the earth, placing my face near to the dust. Settling my ear into the dreaming of the earth the hollow and the stone, a cradle for my sapped and weary head, fractal snaps of flame echo and slip into my ear from the mouth of the stone whispering fire. Brother Saint Burning Bush, do you wish it would always burn like this into the never-ending presence? Is it too much? Will you be consumed finally at the end of days? How could you not be spent? How could you not be used up, overwrought by unquenchable glory? Even if your leaves and twigs remain, how could your heart endure? But it is love that consumes and burns itself, even as it takes, it gives, not sustainably, but metamorphically. No, I will not survive, nor will I be destroyed. This rage of love takes everything and gives everything. It, mis it mysteries my bushness in alchemical rapture, which slays and resurrects me in one blow from the primordial kiln as I become undone by wholeness. And my heart, my heart, what can it do but lean into the conflagration? That's what that heart's doing, I guess. Yeah, leaning into the conflagration, becoming whole. I, I was thinking of, of Mary, actually, when you were reading. Yeah, it's good. And, um, like, she received God, and she wasn't consumed by it. Like, that's amazing. And, I mean, that's the mystery of the Incarnation, too. And that's, that's the, I guess, the mystery of our lives, too, that we're... We're called to be Mary. Mm -hmm. 
to bear God, to be a theotokos of, of sorts, uh, to be on fire but not consumed, and but yet to be consumed. And that is our that is our way to becoming whole again. It's it's funny, you know. I I always, you know, Paul writes. I think it's in Corinthians where he talks about you know every man builds on a foundation mm-hmm. built by another, and and he describes different building materials, you know, suitable or unsuitable. And but you know he talks about, you know how what it'll all be tested by fire and. You know, some will be just escaping through the flames. And, and I was, was haunted by that in the sense of like, what's going to happen to all the work that I've done? You know, am I making good work? Is it going to endure the fire? You know, it was just something that I was. And one time a good friend of mine said, what if it's worship? You know, what if that's the fire, that fire, you know, if it's being turned into smoke. And so like what if it was burnt? That's what if that's what that fire is. And, and, uh, suddenly I didn't mind my work being (laughs) burnt up in the fire anymore. It was, and, uh, it seems like, I don't know. There, there, the fire is, is, is a mysterious and tricky thing and it goes, it cuts both ways. Yeah. Like even the the expression to be consumed by something like a fire consumes yeah. it can be can be it can be a bad thing if it's a if it's a lesser thing that consumes you uh, but if it's a higher thing it's it's on on one hand it's not that really mysterious uh, to to be uh, devoured by something higher or consumed by something higher and feel uh, and to become whole or or to come alive like when we're when we are worshiping uh or when we are giving ourselves um to a love uh with a person um even in a sense to like the super bowls coming up when you're just uh consumed and giving yourself to your favorite team if they're winning like that coming undone but becoming feeling becoming alive as you're giving up yourself and that kind of uh worship of a lesser kind but yeah the lesser things are fractals of the bigger things and in, in, in a lot of regards i mean yeah they're, they're instructive nothing yeah is wasted. yeah you can't mm-hmm. yeah that you, you can't stay there too long right they're stepping stepping stones I don't, and that might be bad too but uh but they're meant to lead you upward to the higher things they have their their place and purpose that okay that's that's interesting that this this thought that one all all the lesser things are fractals of the of the bigger thing nothing is wasted mm-hmm. there's, the, there's the line early in the poem that says i can't i can't bear uh the the words of men who are not sore afraid mm-hmm. um i think that's i think that's the line yeah, so I mean, I can't. Yeah, I can't bear, or I can't. I cannot bear, or even hear the voices of men unless they're so amazed. There we go. At the nearness, or the nearing nearness. Um, because that that right, those those two thoughts together. Because I mean, I think you're right. Everything is in some way this kind of leading up to God. I wonder about. 
I mean, most of my day is, is consumed with the voices of men who are not sore amazed, including my own. You know, it's, it's easy enough to join in that conversation. I wonder about that. I mean, not even those, even those voices are in some way not wasted. It, it does, it does strike me often. Um, just kind of being exhausted with these, these wasted words on things that, uh, aren't worthy of praise, but have no end of, uh, people trying to talk. Uh huh. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it, uh, those two thoughts next to each other are kind of striking to me. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a seeming contradiction there. If maybe, but, but it's like, and I think, but I think that's, a, I think that there's, it's impossible to get away from things like that. If I'm, re, if I'm understanding you correctly. Yeah. I don't, I don't mean, I don't, how how you can go about your day and not be surrounded by it it's it's everything every conversation mm-hmm. with every person on the street every time i turn on a radio um or uh open my phone or whatever it's these things that um the voices think, of yeah go ahead yeah well i think it's i think it's important to I guess what strike when I think about those things, because you know we're faced with maybe it's I I wonder if it's like is is it my job to take those things that seem like you know trash and that I guess they all belong everything belongs at the foot of the cross you know yeah. and and I guess it's it's and and it's a, it's a war I wage with myself all the time you know, too, of like, well, this is important and this isn't, you know, or this is, and it's, it's funny, you know, we all have, I'm sure different, our, you know, our lives and, but I, I get, you know, I sell eggs and milk and stuff on our farm. And so we, I get people that stop and sometimes people just need to talk. And, uh, you kind of get that sense of like, I guess I need to just listen to this person <laughs> for a while, even though, it maybe doesn't seem like it's really important what they're saying. Um, there's that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that just uh, seems utterly useless though. And, uh, but, I, but I can only, you know, I, that's the, you know, the permaculture, I think they're, that's one of their, their kind of motto is nothing is wasted. And I co-opted that and made it, made it about God. Um, and God's economy, because even though I can't see it, I I have to believe that nothing goes to waste. And even in that conversation with the disciples at the end of Luke, I mean, they would just have a what they thought was a normal conversation, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, on on a road just traveling, but right. it was it was Jesus, mm-hmm. it was yeah. God, and uh, for like I've had a big wrestle with this over the years. And a lot of ego uh, is involved in this. So each person, I think, well, is is different when it comes to like the little things, the trivial things. You you, you think that you, you can't see that they're that they're stepping stones, and it's like there's some things in your life where you're there's some things in my life that uh, at one point in my life I would look at those things and think. 
if I want to be a good Christian, if I want to be a good follower of God, then I can't do that. I can't have a part in that. Those are, those are bad things. Those are, even if they're not bad things, but there's a, that, that ego part of me that says, no, uh, to be closer to God is just this. And as soon as I demark that and say that only doing these certain things is what will kindle a heart or what God would like, like, as soon as I do that, then I'm, 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 I'm lost. I'm, I'm, I'm lost. Where, where I've learned to then, I guess, appreciate the fact that he is in the little things that I hate. <laughs> he is in the little things that I despise. Like if I really want to find him in my particular life, then those are the things I need to concentrate on or, or focus on or notice him in. I remember uh, like a classic uh, sermon this this pastor was giving and it came to this party as, I don't know, preaching on uh, a psalm, maybe like David's confession psalm or some, some, something big ramping up to this moment where like it called for him, the pastor, to like confess a sin that he had, like to follow in David's steps just to show us how it's done. And he like build it up, build it up. And this and the sin that came out of him was, Lord, you know that this week I ate six Oreo cookies in one sitting. <laughs> and I'm like like <laughs> like that's it? Like that's <laughs> that's your sin? But I didn't know that was a sin. <laughs> I didn't know that was a sin either. But, but we each have like, and, and and you know, I'm glad that he was at least honest about where is that, where is that. But I, I think that each of us have those things that other people would look at and like, you know, that's that's not a sin. But but that's our hang up. That's our thing. But uh, what I'm saying though is that maybe God is actually in that thing that you're thinking is a sin. Maybe that's exactly where you need to uh, go searching for God. Maybe that is a stepping stone, that, that place, that shadow that you're not willing to go. That's where he, that's where he's, that's where he's hiding. That's where he's found at. My friend Cody always, always says like our sins, our sins are what lead us to, to Christ. um, Ultimately. Mm -hmm is a hard thing to wrap your head around um, until you've followed your sins to Christ. <laughs> um, well, they're symptoms. Sins, I mean, they're many things, but they're also symptoms. Mm -hmm. They like, Jack, you, you've talked about uh, with me before, before about the uh, New York, the farmer in New York, I forget his name, but uh, where he, yeah. he looks at the land and depending on what weeds come up, what weeds come uh, up, tell you uh, what the soil needs, right? What kind of yeah. nutrients the soil needs, but mm -hmm. sins are like those weeds. You see certain kinds of sins in your life mm -hmm. and they're, they're, they're telling you something essential about what you need, you know, what's missing. Uh, so they're, they're, they're helpful in that way. I'm not telling people to go out there and sin, but just to be aware of uh, the weeds that they see, that they detest. Nothing is wasted. And it's like all these things are like, it's like the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like chatter, you know, sort of shallow chatter about living in the moment, you know, in the world. But there is also a deep 
truth about encountering God's presence and and ultimately the only place it can be found, which is the present, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, so I, I think it's, um, all those moments it's, you know, I think Ram Dass, you know, he has a book called grist for the mill, you know, which is a great expression, you know, that is, that is similar to nothing is wasted. Everything is grist for the mill. Um, so it's, it's a, I don't know. It's an important thing to to maintain, you know, and it connects to to Brother Lawrence for me too, you know, where he was his where he would, you know, he was having these over time these great, you know, his his great intimacy with God was when he was doing these tasks that he really didn't like washing dishes or you know at all and but that's what you know his humility led him to these places and then he sought God's presence there and they became much more preferable to him than you know doing you know the actual like monastic things that were intended to to do to, to bring about what he was encountering when he was doing dishes um so um, it, I think it's, it just flies in the face of, you know, when I think about that thing about being sore amazed and being, you know, not being able to tolerate the voices of men and the voice that I'm the most, that I get, that I can't tolerate, that's not being sore amazed is my own, you know, that's the one, that's the one that gets me. And it, so it's that, I don't know how to complete my thought. I kind of lost it there for a second, but. Taking this in a, in a different direction, um, in regards to the arts, mm -hmm. there's a, I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary about Wendell Berry called Look and See. Um, I don't even know where you can stream it anymore, but there's this moment where he's talking there. The interviewer is talking to Wendell's adult daughter and, you know, she's asking like, you know, what did, what did Wendell teach you as a kid? And he's, she, she just said, like, you know, when we go on walks, he'd just say, look, mm -hmm. look at this. And it was things that she would not have seen, but, you know, over a hundred walks, and he's told her to look at this one thing. It becomes suddenly, now it's got, well, it's, 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 it's become a symbol for one. Um, but two, uh, she sees it on her own. She doesn't need her dad to tell her what it is anymore. Um, I think in regards to this idea that I can't stand the voices of men who, who are not sore amazed. One of the things that art as an artist, as a viewer of art, not a consumer as a contemplator of art. Um, and as other people who are, who, who may need to take up the practice of art as they would take up the practice of prayer would be to say, look, look at this, look at the thing that you have overlooked. Look at the mouse. Um, look at the herringbone pattern that is in so many clothes and say, look at, look at this. Uh, and then eventually people become amazed. Uh, and so part of that, of that, like, I can't stand this is, is, is to actively be, 
Um, well, if I can't stand it, I can sit here and curse those people or I can offer them the blessing, you know, mm-hmm. of yeah. being able to see. So I think that's something that is accomplished here. That's good. That's good. It's really good. Well, we made it to the heart today. Maybe next week we can get to the crotch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to show you guys my belt buckle, but... <laughs> uh, Jack, real quick, what does it mean to you to be... I mean, real quick, my question, your answer can take up however long you want. But what, what does it mean for you to be sore amazed? It's a good question. And it changes depends on what I'm looking at, you know, or what I'm encountering, you know, but I, but I, but it's good when I, I think I'll give this as an, just as an example of Cormac Begley is a concertina player in Ireland. He's kind of really hard to describe how he plays, you know, he plays traditional tunes on a concertina, but, um, he plays with such energy and like passion, like you really think that concertina is going to explode by, by the time he's done. It's like, and it's, it's so, it is, you know, it does, it doesn't matter what the tune, you know, there are all these old, you know, you know, jigs or reels or whatever that he's playing and they like, it brings me to my knees when I see that, like, it brings whether I get on my knees physically or just my spirit is on its knees, you know, because of what I'm witnessing when I walk out in the morning um, and I make a practice of standing and looking at the sky, you know, it's always dark, you know, I get up and it's dark and I'll just stand there um, looking out to the east every morning and uh and just hold myself in that space for a while and welcome the day and welcome you know i welcome it's like i had this thought of like what does it mean to be baptized in, into the day you know and you know because for me like the day is like a, a part of god's presence and so i stand there waiting for that to come to me in the morning and Sometimes the stars are bright and sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's, I don't know, but there's just, sometimes it's like a real, sometimes I'm amazed because it's quiet and I'm not feeling anything emotional, you know? I don't think it's necessarily an emotional state. It can be, and emotions can definitely accompany it, like overwhelming emotion can accompany it but i think it can be i don't think it has to be that you know i have you know having my six kids uh, there's a lot of amazement that comes with from those guys art amazes me constantly it's like the potent the most potent things are when i've had in encounters with um, it's like these things that are the hardest to talk about are the most potent things that I'm skip that, that really make me feel so amazed. The things like 
now I'm losing it. So I lo- forgot his Pascal and his um, Night of Fire. You know, it's when I've when when I've found myself, you know, with deep under the crust of the earth, somehow, and encountering God's all this the consciousness of like the earth and of God. I mean, there's this in these. Like the the language just becomes meaningless because it's it's there's just not language for it. Or when I've found myself in the eye of God, or before a flame, the flaming like figure of Christ. Um, like there's just no, you know. John says, you know, I fell down like a dead man. Um, so there's a lot of ways to kind of think about being sore amazed, whether it's the reverence before the day as it dawns or the reverence of my, or watching goats being born, pulling lambs, you know. It just goes, it goes on and on, right? So there's, there's plenty to be amazed at to that capacity of being sore amazed. It's an, it's an interesting expression. (laughs) So, but, um, that's, that's, I could go on and on, but, uh, that maybe that gives, uh, maybe that's sufficient for now. Yeah. I was driving to, uh, work, uh, few months ago maybe maybe less but there was uh, traffic going over this bridge and as, as you go over this bridge there's you can kind of see Chicago there uh, but we we're I was driving over this bridge and traffic was stopped and I'm like what is going on I just need to get to work and and a guy had gotten out of his car and it was you're you're driving east towards the rising sun guy had gotten out of his car <laughs> And was like taking pictures of the sunset or filming uh-huh. the sun or the sunrise rather. Uh-huh. And like, I didn't blame him. And typically on that bridge, cause the time that I go and the, the sun is rising, there's always people taking pictures of it. It's like uh-huh. it never gets old. It's like, yeah. how, how many sunrises do we need uh-huh. to see? How, but <laughs> that's that, yeah. that's that symbol. Like it never gets old. It's infinitely deep. It touches you no matter who you are. And like you're baptized into your day. And that to me lights my fire, lights my heart. Like that's the beginning, one of the beginning processes to starting my day being baptized in that, in that good thing of God's creation that um, when viewed and taken in the right way can lead to a flaming heart. So I want to, I, I want more of that in my life. I, I hope people are encouraged um, to take in life in that way, to see the fire in it. And that would be my hope and prayer for people. Any last thoughts you guys have? I'm tapped out on thoughts. <laughs> yeah. The sun, that sunrise and the sunset is a, is a perfect a perfect way to connect the that being amazed with 
I don't know. That's I think it's perfect. Mm-hmm. So that's all I have to say about that. Jack, you have a a puppet theater coming up. Yeah. Can you talk mention that? And um, and can people like go who are in the area? Yeah, yeah. It'll be at Tabor College. I'm performing performing my puppet with my my puppet show at Tabor College, which is in Hillsboro, Kansas. It's a Mennonite college, and it will be in March. Um, I think there will be March 1st, there will be a performance, and March 2nd, like the initial. So I don't know how many we'll ultimately do, um, but at least a couple. Um, so I'll have information as it okay. as we kind of like get the t- dates and times finalized on that. I can put a section um, on our website for that kind of stuff, too. Will be fun. Yeah, it's been it's been a lot of years since. Um, it's the thing that I regard as my life's work hmm. is this puppet theater, and um, I've been working on it for a long time, and it's always changing and developing. But it's one story. The, so. Um, anyways, yeah, it's it'll I'll be, I'll be performing that um, this yeah in March, so pretty nervous about it actually seth do you have any uh poetry readings coming up or in the works for uh 2024 um, i don't have anything uh currently on the books um as we get a little further in the year i'm trying to get a couple other projects mm-hmm. finished and out mm-hmm. the door before i could go try to do that it's kind of it's kind of difficult to manage uh I mean, it's not difficult. It's just another thing that yeah. takes me away from the other projects that I need, I need to be working on that I told my wife that I would finish because um, <laughs> she's been gracious enough to let me do them. All right. Well, again, uh, colorofdust.com is our website. We're on Instagram, too. Appreciate uh, any likes or follows that we get and get some more information about you know what we're up to in that. So those are a couple ways people can uh connect but good to talk with you guys uh tonight yeah, always yeah and uh, yeah we'll see everyone next time okay fellas bye see ya